This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 280 of the show. And today we're talking with Bobby George, who is an entrepreneur and majority owner in over 20 restaurants and bars, as well as the founder and CEO of Ethos Capital. We start the show talking about Bobby's first restaurant and bar, which he founded in partnership with an NFL player he met by chance. I was lucky enough to have met Jeff Fain. He was the Browns' first-round pick. We became great friends. He had a lot of money. I had no money. And he invested in my first nightclub in Akron, Ohio, called Barley House Akron. Long story short, him and I are still best of friends and have made millions of dollars together. Later on, we discussed the importance of deferring spending after early success to build wealth as an entrepreneur. One of the rules I always give when I speak to young entrepreneurs is live way below your means. I was the poorest millionaire ever because me, my mom, and my sister lived in a 1,300-square-foot house until I was 33, and I, at that point, I was already a multimillionaire. It's paid off, and I didn't want to be one of those guys that was just like, you know, a fake millionaire. I wanted to really be wealthy. I deferred everything. And we wrapped the show with some advice for all the entrepreneurs out there. Number one, live below your means. I always tell people that. Even when you think you made it, you didn't, so keep living below your means. Reinvest your cash in your business. No debt if you can. Love your people. Really, really be committed to your people. Be obsessed with your business. Don't let people tell you you work too much. And you guys are athletes. You know what it takes to win. It's almost like you got to be obsessed. We hope you enjoyed this episode because we definitely did. And with that, let's dive right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. And today, it's just me and Josh in the booth. Josh, what's going on? Not much, man. It's a lot of rain outside in Columbus. It's been, it's been on and off for like a week now. It, it comes down in sheets, and then it stops. And then it'll be coming down in sheets. And I saw a couple of our employees today came in just drenched from like walking outside. But uh, that's on them. That's on them. You don't go walking when the weather's like this. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. We're missing Tim. Where's our wild card? Yeah, we are, we are missing him. He adds the extra element to it. But other than that, man, everything's good. The week's going well. I fly out to El Paso this weekend, which if you know anything about El Paso, there's not really anything in El Paso. <laughs> Uh, so that should be an interesting. I feel like experience. a lot of people probably say that about Columbus, though. Yeah, that's probably true too. And know. I'm excited for our interview today. Speaking of our interview today, so today on the show we'll be talking with Bobby George, and Bobby is a majority owner in over 20 restaurants, including Town Hall here in Columbus, which also has a location in Cleveland, um, and he's also tied to over 30 other businesses. While uh, mainly known for his restaurants in Cleveland and Columbus. He is also the founder and CEO of Ethos Capital, uh, and we're really excited to talk with Bobby about his journey as an entrepreneur, what he looks for when buying a business, his restaurants in Columbus, and a whole lot more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Bobby. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you coming down here. So do you live in Cleveland still, or are you, uh, you know, kind of in between Columbus and Cleveland? I'm in both, but right now I'm mostly in Columbus. Okay. So when I when I go into a new market, I try to saturate myself in the market. Mm -hmm. So I bought a house on Second and High, okay. and I'm staying here about four and a half to five days a week. And then you go up, back up for the weekends to Cleveland? Twice a or? week. No, okay. I drive back every Sunday, come back Monday, drive up every Wednesday and come back Thursday. Yeah. Not that bad of a drive? No, I like it. So, you know, one of the first places we like to start, Bobby, is just a little bit of background on yourself, kind of how you got to where you are today, maybe the major highlights along the way from your perspective. So maybe as far back as like, you know, you grew up in Cleveland, right? Yeah. I grew up in Cleveland, was born in Lakewood, grew up in North Olmsted, went to St. Ed's High School, St. Edward mm -hmm. High School. Greatest wrestling high school in the country. Mm -hmm. Wrestlers, you guys would know. I did not wrestle. I played football. Played middle linebacker for St. Ed's. And um, when I graduated college, I you know, I was always a pretty ambitious person. I was lucky enough to have met an NFL athlete. He was the Browns' first-round pick named Jeff Fain. It's a small world. It's funny how God works. Jeff Fain dated a girl from Cleveland that he met at Notre Dame, and then he got drafted to the Cleveland Browns. So she brought him into a place I was working at, introduced him to me. 
We became great friends. He had a lot of money. I had no money. And he invested in my first nightclub in Akron, Ohio called Barley House Akron. Long story short, him and I are still best, best of friends. And we own several businesses together and have made millions of dollars together. And Barley House is still standing today, right? Well, Barley House Akron, we sold in a year and a half. Okay. And that's still open. But Barley House Cleveland Mm -hmm. is still open. And it's still the number one nightclub in the state of Ohio. So I want to talk about the path after Barley House. But somebody like yourself who's created businesses, and and you can tell just from a few minutes talking to you, like very entrepreneurial, you decided to go to college anyways. What did you study in college? Was it, did it come naturally to you? Did you actually want to take that path? I know the big thing on social media and I watch is college is a way it's, to me, it wasn't. College was a great experience for me. Well, number one, I, I really wasn't, high school, I wasn't serious enough about anything to learn anything. You know, all I focused on and cared about was sports and girls, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I realized I wasn't going to make it anywhere in sports, I just didn't, wasn't gifted with that ability. Had I not had sports, I would have got myself into trouble because I was a mischievous kid. So when I stopped playing sports, business became my new sport. But I had to go learn how to learn. And I will tell you, college helped me with that. So I was a finance and economics major and I took college seriously. I was, you know, I didn't go there to party. I did have enjoy life and I enjoyed the experiences of being with my friends. You know, I didn't have a great upbringing growing up. My my home was... um my home life wasn't great. So getting away from that toxic environment, I needed. And I, my friendships grew. Mm-hmm. And I also became myself. You know, when you're away from everybody, leaving your hometown is a major life hack. You just learn how to be yourself and you learn what you really love. So I was around some great professors in a great environment. And I just decided I really love business and this is going to be my new sport. And I became as obsessed with business as I was with sports. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. You mentioned learning how to learn. What were the biggest, I think, because I'm always curious about, you know, everybody learns differently and everybody has their own kind of thoughts and process to it. But what were your biggest takeaways in terms of how to learn coming out of college? What did you take away that you could apply to learn later in life? You know what I learned? Like, I'm not good in group settings. So if I want to learn something, I got to wait for the professor after class and, and extract what I wanted from him or her. I wasn't afraid to use tutors and learn. And I actually went from being, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, I took the SAT three times. And do you guys still take the SAT or the ACT? I took the SAT, but I'm a California boy, so. So I took it three times because I was going to go to Georgetown and play football. The average SAT score in the College of Business at Georgetown was 1,400. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get above 800. I just, you know, and when I was younger, nobody taught me how to study. And I'm, you know, my mom, that's not, that's not how I was growing up. I was a bad student. I pretty much cheated my way through high school. So... There was no chance of me getting into Georgetown. And I really didn't want to play football anymore because I, I didn't think I was going to go anywhere with it. I realized I had some elite players like Troy Smith. went to, I went to high school with Troy Smith. I realized how good some people were, and I just didn't have that, that athletic ability. So what I did is I just I applied everything towards business, and I wasn't a great reader, but I was great one-on-one. And I really had an ambition to learn and, and be good and be a good leader. So... I don't, you just got to be like a sponge and be super humble and just like ask a lot of questions. And I started reading, bi- I read my first book ever in college. Mm-hmm. I mean, believe it or not, like and it was a business book by Stephen Covey. And it just, 
It was called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I took some principles away from there that changed my life. So you get done with Barley House. Uh, I'm inter- interested too, like based on the way you talk about learning and that experience, uh, whether that carries into your other business ventures, like you go in, you get the financing, you get someone to believe in you, but how do you actually execute on it? You've never done it before. Did you just find other people who no. had executed on that? In your first business, you can't find anyone. You got to do it all on your own. So execution was always a skill of mine, getting things done. I was always a pretty disciplined dude. I got, you know, so when I graduated college, I made up my mind that, and take this or leave it, that I would rather die than not be successful. So there was zero chance. I cut everything else out of my life. So I didn't think about my family. I didn't think about my friends. I didn't think about anything except making money and being successful. So there was nothing. I made up my mind, literally, that I would rather die than not be successful. So all I did was work. That's it. And I I didn't care about money. I didn't care about taking money out of the business. I didn't care about things. I didn't buy anything for myself. And, and, you know, there's a guy on uh, social media named Gary Vee. I don't agree with everything he says, but there's one thing that resonated with me that he said. He said he punted his 20s and 30s, and I feel the same way. You know, I just punted my life. I said, look, I'm giving up my 20s. And then every time I opened a new business after that, I said, okay, I'm dead until this business succeeds, until I pay off all my debt. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm just telling you how I did it. So how does the path unfold after Barley House then? Where do you go next? Do you stay in the, the nightclub space? So I never thought I was going to go in the nightclub business because if you knew me in college, I wasn't a big party guy. I wasn't the big drink guy, but I always was the organized guy that could put on the party and host the party, but I was never the life of the party. You know, my friends joke, they call me a dork a little bit, but- Mike gets that all the time too. Man, it's I, true don't, I don't see it. Listen, you got to own it. It's true. Hey though. man, you got to own it. I own it now. Yeah, that's right. You, gotta, you, can't, you can't make fun of you if you own it. Yeah. So what happened is I opened Barley House Akron. Jeff Fain financed all of it. I put any money I had into it, but he financed. And, you know, the first couple of months, it didn't do great. And I was chewing my fingernails off. I actually remember I was talking to the girl I, I dated at that point. I'm still close friends with her. And I was just talking to her a couple months ago about how anxious I was. And I would chew my fingernails that they bleed. And all of a sudden, it started doing better and better and better. And then one day, it was like packed. It was the spot to be. It ended up being the number one draft beer account in the state of Ohio and did really well. And I sold it in about a year and a half. I got you know, and, and we made what we thought was a ton of money. Then we paid taxes. We paid the commission on the sale. I lost my salary and I realized, holy shit, I don't have that much money. And I went and tried to open two more restaurants and bars after that. I ran out of money and I was so tight. I thought I just did what everybody, you know, all the stories you hear. And I, I almost went bankrupt. I almost went broke. Thank God those businesses did well. And I just kept rolling money into new business. So you roll it into two restaurants, you almost go broke, but then they turn around and end up going well. They ne- those new restaurants never did bad. I just overextended myself. I underestimated what it was going to cost to build them out and how long it would take and overestimated how much money I was going to make from the sale of barley because I was always mm-hmm. thinking about my next move. I didn't want to be an actor anymore. I didn't love the economy. And then, you know, then we opened Barley House Cleveland and it was just such a huge success. And after that, I was in a really good position. And I had built such a good team. I'd kept my team. Mm-hmm. I've had the same core team since the day I started in business. So it sounds like, and this is something that we've seen with a lot of entrepreneurs, especially who work on businesses that have product or things that have a shelf life or inventory, right? Cash flow always comes into play early in their entrepreneurial journey where underestimated the cash requirement or the cash burn with starting a business. It sounds like, you know, early on, that was when you peeled off those two new businesses, that was part of the challenge, Right. If you could go back and do it again, would you change anything by the way you did it? Or do you think that lesson learned early on was impactful going forward? Yeah, if I, if I could go back, I'd do a lot of things different because <laughs> I'd have a lot more money. I would have taken more risk. I would have thought bigger. I probably wouldn't open those two businesses. I would have thought, 
in bigger markets, but you can't, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, but I, not, I might not have met the people I met and done what I've done, you know? So the one, one of the rules I always give when I speak to young entrepreneurs is live way below your means. I was the poorest millionaire ever because me, my mom and my sister lived in a, you know, 1300 square foot house until I was 33. And I, at that point I was already a multimillionaire paid off. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that was just like, you know, a fake millionaire. I wanted to really be wealthy, you know, and I wanted to, def- I deferred everything. I-, I was, I still am all about deferring gratification. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. What is it? Is it about, uh, I mean, because the deferring gratification versus the money is probably going to be two separate things, right? Is it, was it always about just having the wealth or was it about the fact that the discipline and the reward that came after being disciplined was so gratifying? You know, I was always scared and I was operating. I was always scared I wasn't going to make it, be successful. So I always just wanted to have a reserve. You know, you hear things and like have cash, have cash, you know, have in case things get bad. And that for some reason that resonated with maybe I just lacked confidence. You know, people are always like, why are you so ambitious? And I always answer it with, cause I'm pretty insecure. Like that was the only thing I was really good at. You know, like we all have our thing, you know, some people are extremely good looking. Some people are this, some people are that. Well, you know, the only thing I could really control was being successful. I wanted to always take, cause I've had the same core team, as I mentioned earlier, I always want to make sure they were taken care of. So I always lived so far below my means that, and I was so focused on making money and, and taking care of them that, you know, I just, good outcomes came. I've really never had a a major failure. I've always outworked my problems. Have you thought about what the money means to you in terms of, is it a scoreboard? Is it health and safety for your family? Like what, because you know, some entrepreneurs like, look, I, the money isn't really like, I don't care about having the wealth. It's just like how I determine if I'm successful or not. Some entrepreneurs, it's like, Hey, I want to have this lifestyle. And you know, this is the way that I get it. Like, what does the money mean for you? It means a lot. Like I'd be lying if I told, I don't believe that when people say that, like, Mm -hmm. First of all, if you see me, like I'm, we're dressed the same, right? It's about a lifestyle, but I'm not really a flashy guy. But what it's about is when money comes freedom and power and the ability to take care of people and to dictate your life, to dictate the life. Okay, I want to marry this kind of girl. I want to look this way and feel this way. I want to make these kind of investments. I want this kind of freedom. You know, money allows you to do that. So you mentioned 33. It sounds like that was another milestone in your life. Like what, what did you accomplish up till that point? And cause you've, you've done so much and I feel like in your head, you know, you can press it cause it's just like, you've been heads down working the whole time and it doesn't seem like a long span. So I'm just trying to unfold the timeline a little bit. Like what is the next big milestone for you where you realized, okay, this is where I'm going to steer my life at this point. Did the strategy ever change? There's no, I never had a milestone. I never had a strategy. I never had a goal. I had to be honest. I just said, I'm going to keep my head down and keep working. And if you win the day, Everything takes care of itself. And maybe that's not the right way, but it's worked for me. I've tried to live real far below my means. Now in business, I'm always thinking, you know, I read a quote that one of my mentors sent me, if the speed of change on the outside is greater than the speed of change on the inside, the end is near. So I'm always paranoid in business. I'm always looking for the next thing. I'm always thinking, how can I improve? A lot of people open businesses, they're content. That's my model. I'm always changing my model. So talking a little bit about Columbus, because, you know, we are on conquering Columbus and the businesses you've, you've started to establish here, you know, something I noticed, and I've only been to Town Hall. I haven't been to, I think it's Rebel up in Dublin. But what I noticed when I go into Town Hall is the attention to detail in the space. 
it seems like everything has a purpose, including, you know, the atmosphere that you're trying to build and the branding of Town Hall stood out to me. So is that is that a major focus with your initiatives and your ventures? Or is that something that you've kind of picked up over time? Like, how has that come into play? Is the branding and the attention to detail in the space like Town Hall, is that, would you see that across all of your restaurants or is that particular to this brand in this space? You know, I'm really blessed. Like, you know, I'm talking a lot about myself, but I have faith uh, and I believe in God and he's surrounded me with unbelievable people. One of my, um, you know, my organizations, my, some of my best friends, Corey May, my cousin Jacqueline, but my designer, who's a partner in my business, pays attention to every detail and he is unreal. And his name is Anise Nahel. He's um he was born in Lebanon, moved here after the war, and he's got his own factory in Indonesia where he makes all his own furniture. I'm a partner in his business, but he designs all my places and he treats them. He he pay he's one of those guys that really doesn't care about money. All he cares about is his product. He's the reason behind that. Now I help lay it out and say, here's how it works and operates effectively, because I'm, you know, my passion is operations and marketing and but he'll make it look beautiful and he'll pay attention to every detail and he'll come up with designs and just I mean, just they're overwhelmingly awesome. So you find yourself in the restaurant space, you find this incredible team that you're kind of copy pasting and continue to have success after success. When does the town hall, and is it pronounced Rebel? Is, is Mike it's, pronouncing it's it? It's Rebel. Rebel? Rebel. Yep, so it's good job on that one, Mike. It. It's half, half the people say Rebel, half Rebel. We'll cut them out of the whole podcast for you. Please. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> when does that concept come about? Like, when do you think about that? And when do you start rolling it out? So I started um, with Nightclub Barley House and then opened sports bars called Harry Buffaloes. In the meantime, I was opening some places in Orlando, Florida with Jeff Fain, all different smaller concepts, some called the Other Bar, Stagger Inn, you know, all different places. But what happened is I was diagnosed with a genetic disorder about 12 years ago called hemochromatosis. And it's a disorder that I absorb way too much iron in the body. So genetically, they say it's genetically, it doesn't show up my genetic snips anywhere anymore, but the doctor's like, you know, people with your genetic disorder don't live live long. Like, what do you mean? It's like, well, they just don't live long, you know? And, I'm, and they try to give you all kinds of drugs to stimulants to make you feel better. And really the only therapy for me was, because my liver had already been damaged so much from it, was doing phlebotomies, which is get the giving of blood. And I always had to give, you guys remember in class when you could go and give blood, you give a pint of blood. You know how much blood that is, right? A pint? It's a decent amount. So legally you can only give like once every 68 days. I was given a pint of blood twice a week for like years. I mean, if you look at my arms, people would be like, you know, I got holes all over my arms. So not only did I do that, and that was to help prevent against needing a liver transplant, but I got really serious about like alternative therapies. And that's why one of the reasons I believe in God, that led me to open Town Hall. After I became independently wealthy, I said, look, if I'm going to continue to stay in this business, which is very hard, this next one I do, I'm going to do it the way I want it. And I'm going to be real healthy, not fake healthy. And all these other restaurants that lie, because I couldn't eat anywhere because I got so serious, that lie about the bullshit they put in their food, I'm not going to. My produce is going to be organic. My meat's going to be grass-fed, grass-finished. My coffee's going to be non-toxic because I'm going to have every single one of my meetings for all my other businesses here. And when I did that, it's unreal the reward I got. And Town Hall was by far my most successful restaurant and bar. They were all successful, but not to this level. So that's how Town Hall was inspired. You know, all the oils we use, we use avocado oil. It's 800 more times expensive than canola oil, you know, which is what everyone else fries or cooks in. We use olive oil. We use organic produce. Not only was it hard to source and keep, but it's more expensive, but we were rewarded for it. 
Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies. It grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. So you kind of fall into this this concept from natural and health reasons. And then, I mean, you, you mentioned the discipline, the execution, that's one component, but you still got to put together, you know, a customer experience. You mentioned your team is a big part of that. Was there at any point as you were launching the concept that you guys thought things might not work? Or did you just always kind of see traction, 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 and just keep pushing and it all worked out? I always think things aren't going to work. I'm the kind of person that always has fear, but courage is not living without fear. It's, ha- it's, it's the ability to overcome fear. Because people that don't have fear and they take a step, I don't know if that's much courage, right? That's just, they just got natural good instinct. Every business I started, I was terrified. That's just how I operate. And then what about the branch into the Columbus market? Like I was terrified. Even though Columbus was, even though Cleveland's been a huge success and everyone told me Columbus was going to be a huge success, I was terrified. And it was going to happen right before COVID, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how did you guys handle that? It wasn't easy because... You know, we were getting a lot of heat in the Cleveland market because I was one of the people that didn't buy into shut, the shutdown of the businesses. I tend to be more of a libertarian and just say, look, free market, let people do what they want to do. And so we got a lot of negative media, even though our business was crushing in Cleveland. It just was a real negative environment. You know, when we went to open Columbus, I tried to pull back. Our landlords wanted us to open and, you know, we got a little dispute, but everything worked itself out. You know, we, we've mended the relationship. It's a great relationship now. They're great landlords, and I hope they think I'm a great tenant. Is there anything that stands out to you that's different between the two markets? Columbus has been overwhelmingly successful a lot earlier. I never thought it was going to be this busy. I buy like 40 cinnamon rolls from you guys every single weekend. Oh. So if, if, if success is You're talking the brunch it. rolls? Yeah, when you yeah, talk yeah. about healthy eating, Josh is... Yeah, that's the no, most they're unhealthy. made with avocado oils. Th- that's and- the most unhealthy thing on our menu. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to cut this part too, so... <laughs> Yeah, Cleveland is great, but Columbus is actually even doing better, which I didn't think was possible because it's even smaller. What about the future of Columbus? Like, what are, what are their concepts? How do you see the growth, and what are the what are the goals moving forward? I want to open many more concepts in Columbus. We're opening a rooftop lounge called Mandrake here in the next couple of months. There's not going to be nothing like it in the state of Ohio. It's gonna it's gonna be awesome. Columbus, we've seen nothing like it. It'll be real high energy, great food, but turned more into like a lounge slash high energy restaurant. Why Mandrake? My marketing team picked it. Marketing team picked it. You trust I, them? I didn't like the name. It wasn't my choice, but they loved it. I'm not, that's not my thing, you know? Right. My thing is you call it whatever you want. I'm going to make it work. And that statement right there kind of demonstrates an important piece of being an effective entrepreneur is understanding you can't do everything and delegating some of the things and trusting people and saying, look, here, this is your job. I'm going to let you do your job and then I'll figure it out. Well, if I disagree and I dig my heels in, I'm going to make the call. Mm-hmm. Actually, we put it out. We have group, all of our employees are in group messages and they all voted on Mandrake. I actually wanted the name, The Blueprint. The Blueprint. I love Jay-Z and I liked his first album was called The Blueprint, mm-hmm. and uh, but they didn't like it. So. What about in terms of the way, like you, you talked about a little bit there, how you you delegate a lot and you trust people on your team, but you also can see, like if you just go around Columbus and Town Hall, like you see yourself taking meetings, walking and all these kind of things, like 
the way that you manage seems to be very different than, than other people that you'll see running businesses. Do you uh, have any unique approach or do you just kind of have a natural way that you choose to operate and you go about it? I think my approach is really unique. First of all, I think, you know, I, I come from a place of love. I think most anyone on the inside will see that. I do believe in the servant leadership model. I do say that I work for my employees, they don't work for me. But that doesn't mean me being weak. So a good leader strong makes tough decisions. So I, I don't know. It's a tough question. You know, I, and I'm not saying I'm the greatest leader and I'm not saying I'm the worst leader. It's just I am who I am. You know, I know that I want to always learn and be better. And as people teach me better ways to do things, I, I try to incorporate them. I, I don't think there's too many people more committed to their business than I am. I can tell you that, you know, whether I'm good at it or not, I don't know. What about advice for our listeners? A lot of them are young professionals, aspiring entrepreneurs, some business leaders across the city. Any, any feedback from your experience that you would leave with them? Number one, live below your means. I always tell people that. Even when you think you made it, you didn't. So keep living below your means. Reinvest your cash in your business. No debt if you can. Love your people. Really, really be committed to your people. Be obsessed with your business. Don't, be, don't tell people. Don't let people tell you you work too much. Those are, to be honest, a bunch of losers that tell you that. I hate to say it. I mean, you guys are athletes. You know what it takes to win. It's almost like you got to be obsessed. And, and another thing is like, I'm watching, you know, I'm on social media because I like to learn because I, I believe in it. And not everyone, uh, being a business owner is not for everyone. It doesn't make everyone happy. It doesn't mean you're less than the next person. Some people want to enjoy certain things in life that if you own your own business, you probably can't. You know, it, it depends who I'm talking to. Am I talking to another business owner? Am I talking to you know, someone wanting to start their business, it depends on the advice. And I don't really love to give advice unless people ask because I don't feel like I'm a guru. Everybody's situation is different. It's like if you're in a relationship and you go to people and ask about your relationship, they don't know the context. How are they mm-hmm. going to give you great advice? Now, if someone asked me something specific, like how'd you get financing on this deal? How do you raise money for it? It's different. But you got to be you and do your business the way you know. If it's your business, you know what to do. Absolutely. And I think, Bobby, that's a great place to pivot towards our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Man, it's, it's true. I mean, um, I mean, I think it says, you know, um, there's this guy I love named Ben Pakulski. He says, if you can't, then you must. So, you know, they talk about discipline equals freedom. That's like my favorite, favorite quote. And it's so true. If you're disciplined, you can literally have whatever you want. It will give you the freedom you want. And if you really sit there and dwell on it and write that out, what that means in your life, I mean, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to wake up when you don't want to wake up to get your workout in or to have your meetings. I mean, my life is very, very robotic. I wake up, you know, up until I opened Columbus, you know, I woke up at 4 a.m. From 4 to 5, I did my reading and meditating. From 5 to 7, I hit the gym. I was at every meeting by 7.30 every day of the week, except Sunday or Saturday, maybe a little bit later. And I went to bed at 10. You know, it's just very robotic. And I did that. People are like, oh, I could do that for a year. We'll do it for 15 years, okay? But what happens is you end up enjoying it. You actually feel more at peace when you're doing it than when you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That's answering your question. No, I think it does. And uh, Bobby, thanks so much for coming on the show, talking about uh, yourself, Town Hall, all the other bedrooms you got going on, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And if you guys ever need anything, hit me up. I'd love to see you at Town Hall or at Rebel. Give me your feedback. Will do. And uh, Conquerors, if you enjoyed that episode, leave us a like, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Go check out the restaurants we were talking about here in Columbus. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.